in verse 7 is where we're picking up. And Lord, open your word to us to behold wonderful and mighty things for your glory and your honor and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And in case you didn't uh, know, we do have it on the app, the church's app, or you can type in the app store, Brian Newberry, and either way you'll get the notes for this morning's service to help you follow along. I have a lot of extra stuff in there that uh, won't be covering in detail, but I'll be alluding to. And so last week, we saw part one in preparing ourselves for these last days. And a lot of times people think the days before the coming of the Lord is going to be, you know, everybody's got disease and starving to death. And, and the pictures we have of the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, there was wealth. And that was a part of Satan's plan, is to make people lethargic and independent from God. And and just, it's a spirit of not only having wealth, but wanting more wealth and, and doing whatever it takes to get more wealth. Maybe it's a, a sense of the times are running short and people are trying to get their security and their wealth. And uh, that's a scary thing for us as believers, because Jesus said, for a rich man to get to heaven is like getting a camel through the eye of the needle, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, next to my wife, of course, and uh, he said, you know, Lord, don't help me be too rich, because I'll turn my heart away from you. And that's exactly what happened. And so the only way I see the Bible counteracting that, because we're going to have wealth. We live in America. We, we have a a security just living in this country that most countries will never know. And that is storing up treasure in heaven. And I believe James was alluding to that. The only way to get your, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. People often think they can control their heart. You can't. That's why Solomon said, guard my heart, God, for out of it flows the issues of life. We got to constantly be weeding our heart from the things of this world to keep it from uh, getting taken over by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the desire for riches and, and, and the cares of this life come in and, and choke out that work God's doing. And so uh, we saw there that warning to store up your treasure in heaven and there your heart will be also. Now, the second part of what we're looking at today is understanding the patience, the endurance we're going to have to have in these last days. Now, before we do that, I just want to repaint, if you would, and maybe add a little to it, the picture of these last days. First of all, they're perilous times for believers. Satan is plotting and planning. He's that roaring lion, and he believes that he owns you and everything in this world, and, and he is beyond irritated that your heart is devoted to God. And so Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, know this. These last times, these last days are going to be perilous times. And we went through that list last week. But the last thing I wanted to add in verse 5 is there's a form of godliness, but denying its power. And we need to be aware that we're not that person. We need to be aware who is that person that they don't corrupt us. 
And so the last days, there's going to continue to be religiosity. I think there's going to be more religion than ever before on the planet. I think there's going to be prosperity. I think people are going to feel good about themselves. I think people are going to heap up doctrines that tickle their ears, and they're going to fill those churches up that basically tell them what they want to hear. And Satan's going to come in, and a big part of the planet's going to be high on drugs. (laughs) And their brain's going to be a little weak. And he's going to be able to say nonsense, and it's going to bring people peace. And he's going to unify, begin unifying the world under this message of, of, look at how prosper it is under my reign. And that's going to go on for about three and a half years in the, in the tribulation period. But before that gets there, I think this is his, his strategy. It's just to soak us religiosity. There's not reality of Christ in it. There's no power in prayer, there's no power in this false gospel. And then it tells us in 1 Timothy 4, the Spirit expressly says, he's jumping up and down and screaming emotionally, that you are going to see doctrines of demons that you've never seen before. There, the, the chain, if you would, on Satan, remember, he, he can't just do whatever he wants. He has to go, ask God permission. I think God in these last days lets the chain out a little bit further. You know, it's like the, the dog, you know, you walk by and you go, oh, that dog's going to get stopped right at the edge of his property. And one day you walk there and all of a sudden that dog can go right onto the sidewalk and you're like, ah, uh, you know, that's, I think that's what's going to happen. And, and it says there in 1 Timothy 4 that many will depart from the faith. Wow. He's warning you. You've you got to prepare yourself for impact. This is not going to be a season that generation before the rapture happens. It's not going to be business as usual. He also says in Matthew 24, watch yourself. Take heed to yourself. Don't think, I'm going to stand. I'm going to make it. I have such a love for God, and I'm so solid in my doctrine. These riches aren't going to get to me. The, the, The messages of of Satan that that are peace, peace, and they tickle your ears so well. And, you know, just you you see these doctrines coming in. Oh, there's no hell. You know, everybody's going to be right with God. You know, God's this big Santa Claus guy. And at the end of the day, he's going to say, ah, shucks, come on in and live in heaven. Everybody gets a pass. There's going to be all these things that, that, that are pleasing to us that the, sh- the sharp two-edged sword of God's word that's to pierce us and bring us to great conviction, it's going to be a butter knife, and, and nobody is going to be affected by it, and, and we're going to easily get moved right into that. He says, be careful, watch out, that you are not deceived. And then we also see that there is going to be not just some departing from the faith, but there is going to be a moment in time maybe a certain year, that 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us, you know, guys, I told you when I was there, you should know perfectly well that before the Antichrist comes on the scene, I believe he's talking before the rapture of the church, he says in 2 Thessalonians 2, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. 
And that word in the Greek is apostasia. There's going to be a huge percentage of solid Bible-believing Christians that are just going to depart from true Christian doctrine. I mean, I don't want to toot our own whistle, okay? But there's very few churches that would tolerate the 45, 60-minute sermon that we do. There's very few churches that really want you to preach a message of conviction. There's the majority of the churches that are just going through religious motion, and anything outside of that would be very upsetting to them. They, do, they wouldn't tolerate it. So it's, it's not like hard for us to imagine. The Methodist church that Wesley started looks nothing the same today. That the Lutheran church that Luther brought us out of the Dark Ages into the Reformation period, that the Lutheran church doesn't look anything like the church that Luther would have been a part of, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is not. And you say, well, that'll never happen to us in Calvary Chapel. <laughs> this is what we're saying, guys. Yes, yes. We, we've got to brace ourselves that what we are doing will not be popular as the day of the Lord draws near. That there's going to be an apostasia, that the majority of the people will only go to hear their ears tickle and hear doctrines that are pleasing to them. They're not going to accept the word of God. And the, the prophecies say in the, those days, men are going to go to the east and the west and the south and the north looking for the word of God and not finding it anywhere. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a miracle that this place is packed out today with so many people with their Bibles in hand or access to a Bible demanding that I teach solid doctrine no matter how piercing. I mean, guys, this is disappearing. <laughs> I do not think you'll find this in the majority of Christianity um, throughout the world today. And so take heed to yourselves that you don't get drifting away into an easy believism, into a Christianity without a cross, into a Christian life that doesn't say you need to deny yourself, beat your body in subjection, crucify your flesh with its passions and desires, and walk and follow Jesus. As simple as that is, and you think that would never leave our church, the Bible says otherwise. The Bible also tells us these last days is going to be a time where man gives himself a license. Licentiousness, lawlessness. It's basically he gives himself a pass on, on sins that you would never even consider. You know, I, I, I've been a senior pastor for over 32 years, almost 33 now, and 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 way before that, an assistant pastor and youth pastor. And man, I, I can, I can, we can all do it. We can go back as older folks. I, I remember, you know, over 30 years ago when, when on, on a main channel, they were going to show just above the waist, 
the back of a woman without a shirt on. That's it. The belt line and above, nothing in front. And, and the people in Hollywood, the people in America saying, that will never happen. We'll never allow that to happen. <laughs> it's, it's laughable. Now we're, we're surprised when we watch a show and we don't see the backside of, of some person or some people going at it in the bed. And it's, we're desensitized. It's like, no big deal. Yeah, it's going to be a society where Christians begin to give themselves a pass. It's interesting that this next generation, even within Calvary Chapel, are drinking alcohol freely without any check in their spirit, whether that's a wise thing or not, or how that's going to affect their kids, or how that's going to affect their, their, their life. And if, if you're to say something negative, the whole next generation is not interested in what you have to say. Uh, beer to them is no different than drinking a Coke. Well, the fact is, is it's not a sin, but it's definitely not a wise thing. When the Bible tells us, especially in these last days, we need to be sober-minded. And, and, and if you drink beer, no, no problem, you know. I had a wonderful conversation with my neighbor yesterday. He's drinking a beer, and I, it didn't bother me at all. It, it won't bother me if I see you drinking. You know, Chuck Smith used to always say, I drink all the beer I want to drink. He didn't drink any beer, but he drank all that he wanted to drink. <laughs> he, he just doesn't want it to be out of the heart of, of legalism, but out of a heart of wisdom. It's interesting that a lot of people think that these last days are going to be clear. As it says in Matthew 24, I, I missed this a minute ago when I was reading, where it says, take heed that you're not deceived. Many is going to come in my name saying I'm the Christ. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be trouble throughout. And then Jesus says plainly, but this is not the end. I know when we're in a world war... <laughs> or in these societies that are falling apart, it feels like it's the end of the world. But he's saying, no, these are the birth pangs. These are the beginning of sorrows. This is going to always be resonant with man, seeing this over and over again. And then in Matthew 24, he says, as man gives himself licentiousness, gives himself over to lawlessness, what's going to be the effect of giving ourselves permission to do things and not call it sin? not call it compromise, not call it a weight that's hindering us from running the race with endurance. He said the love of many is going to grow cold. That's, that's the effect of it, is that our hearts are just not going to be as loving towards our spouse, towards our kids, towards one another, towards the lost world as we once did. It's just going to be an effect, and I don't think you can stop it. I, I don't think that... That, that it's just going to be the, the, the new normal. It's going to be the atmosphere of the world we live in, that, that people are just not as loving as we would have seen in our society in a normal way. And the Bible makes it clear that that attitude, that lack of love, it's going to want to bleed into the church, and it's going to take everything within us to fight against that. And he says, after that, he says in Matthew 24, verse 13, he who endures to the end shall be saved. 
It's going to be an uphill battle. But it goes far beyond lacking in love. He goes on back in 2 Timothy 3, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Listen to this. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's the society we're going to live in. And in essence, it can become the society of the church where we become an unloving people and far more than that, like the world, an unthankful, an unholy, an unforgiving people. And I, I think we are sensing that we're fighting against that spirit of the age all the more. This last couple of years in Colorado Springs, road rage is up 500%. People shooting each other and running over bikers and killing people. And there's people now in California, almost every state, I think, that, that are in prison right now because, I mean, just good old soccer moms who in a moment got cut off, just flipped the lid and, and wanted to bump the guy. Well, when you bump a car going 70 miles an hour, people die. And now they're in prison for murder. I felt that. That's why I don't carry a gun in my car. I, I, I might flip a switch. I... <laughs> People have pushed my buttons way too far. And I, and, I, and I realize going, man, what is going on here? And, and their anger is making me angry. Their, their brutality is making me want to be brutal back. And, and I realize, man, this is, this is not the generation my grandma drove in. It's different. Well, in verse 7 this morning, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. For how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So notice here, three times in those two verses, be patient, wait patiently. And then the last time he says, you also be patient. It's amazing how when you, you are not impatient, people can so self-righteously say, oh, just be patient. That, there, there's nothing that irritates me more than that. <laughs> I mean, for, for sure, I can get my wife angry by saying, you sound just like your mother right now. 100% of the time, we are not going to have a good rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> And for sure, she could make me angry by saying, just be patient, just pray. You know, she's right. I mean, it's just when you're being got that spirit of impatience, it's just anybody telling you to be patient makes it only worse. But yet James here uh, is not, you know, he did not read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People whatsoever. He is pounding in this book. And, and he is just saying, this includes you. You need to be conscious. And this word is not just to be patient like waiting at a bus stop. This is patiently endure. It's like a farmer who's waiting for the crops. Does he just sit all day, you know, 
uh, watching game shows and, and doesn't have to work again until harvest. No, those farmers are working hard every single day waiting for the crops and not a lot they can do to speed up the, the, the timing of those crops being ready to harvest. But there's a lot of work every day to be done while he's waiting for the harvest. And this is what it's saying. We need to be like a farmer, busy about the Lord's work. And, and we're seeing the little green head starting to bud. <laughs> And then we're seeing the plant grow a little bit more. And we, in these last days, we're seeing the signs of the time. We know that, that the Lord could have come back two days after he, he ascended to heaven. Paul makes it clear. He believes it's in his lifetime. James here believes it's within his lifetime. John, the Apostle John, believed it was going to be in his lifetime. This has always been the Lord's plan, that there would always be that tension that the Lord could come back today. When we lose that tension, it's like the strings on a guitar. You can't just do any old tension. It's got to be the exact tension to get the right note. And it's a, it's a difficult thing. In the same way, the imminent return of Christ and not being ready, having a compromising heart, being lukewarm as a believer, all these things that can plague the heart of an on-fire Christian, we are to... Make sure that's not us. You, you will not have any good relationship without tension. If a husband just starts being sloppy and not helping out the wife and throwing his clothes on the floor and being short with her and living a selfish life and his wife's like a servant, <laughs> tension's coming, <laughs> right? There's a day where she's like, uh, you know what? I'm fed up with this. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, tension. i got to straighten up how I'm doing. And all of a sudden, they're going to marriage counseling, and they're you know, having to work on these things and, 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 and t getting the tension back. Remember Hezekiah. He, God said, hey, you got your ticket home. You're dying. This disease is going to take you home. And he's like, man, I've been a king for all these years, and I've never been able to have a time where I could just sit on the throne and enjoy being a king. I've always been at war. I've always done what you wanted. I've always walked righteously. And, and I, I just, I'm bummed. And Isaiah went back in and said, okay, God's going to give you 15 years of peace. And Hezekiah got well. He invited the king of Babylon down and said, look at here, and took him into all the secret storerooms that only the king should know about. And Isaiah said, what did you do, Hezekiah? And he said, I showed him everything. He goes, here's the prophecy. They're going to come down here and destroy this country and kill your children. And, and what, kids, what people don't die is going to be taken away to slavery in Babylon. And Hezekiah said, hold on. God promised me 15 years of peace. Well, it won't happen until after that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm good. You want to go to lunch? <laughs> and it's like, whoa. God, he, Hezekiah needed that tension to keep a heart right with God. And when the tension was gone, we saw a fleshliness about him that was destructive and uncaring and unloving and was just self-consumed. And this is where, again, we need to have that tension to, to realize that, that the harvest is coming, that the rapture is soon. And, and we need to keep that tension to say, it might be today. Therefore, Lord, help me 
to, to keep myself in the love of God. Help me to be that holy and pure bride ready for your return. And we see that word endurance. Uh, it's not the same Greek word, but it, the cross references in the strong give us this in, in Hebrews 6.15. It says, and so after he had patiently endured, referring to Abraham, he obtained the promise. And then of Christ, it tells us in Hebrews 12, verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that's before us, looking into Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. We need to use Jesus as our example of endurance. Without him enduring all those years on earth, without him enduring those three years of constant pressure from the Pharisees trying to kill him and, and trying to take these people that were just spiritually not in tune and get them in tune. What a strain it was. At 30 years old, they, they said to him, you're not yet 50. <laughs> That's how old Jesus looked at 30. He was a man acquainted with grief and sorrow. He was a man that looked like he had been smitten and afflicted of God. He had a very hard life. And then, of course, to the cross knowing he had all power, all authority. He could call all the angels to rescue him, but yet he used no power. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Let us consider the endurance of Jesus, lest we get weary and discouraged in our souls. And then he said that the thing that the, the farmer looks for with hope is the earlier and the latter rain. Now, this is right out of the book of Joel, where he's prophesying that there's going to be a second day of Pentecost. The first rain was the day of Pentecost, when God's Holy Spirit poured upon the church, and, and they became mighty in the works of God, and miracles, and healings, and the power to preach the gospel, and thousands respond. Joel says... Guess what? Those who endure, those who hang on in these last days, those who are in that place, in the upper room, if you would, it, it always blows my mind that Jesus in his resurrected body is standing there. 500 people observe him going into heaven, angels talking to them, and Jesus gave them one order, Terry in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. And within a few days, only 120 of the 500 did this. Do you think those 380 were kicking themselves after the day of Pentecost? <laughs> but again, there's that endurance. God wanted them to endure waiting until the power came from on high. Well, in James 5, 8, it says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's coming soon. Establish your hearts. Boy, we could go into this into detail. The first is on the negative side of the coin. As we looked at last week briefly in Luke 21, it says, 
in these last days, don't let your hearts, take heed to yourself that your hearts don't get weighed down with crowsy and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Satan's plan often is if you can't beat him, join him. I don't need to give you sinful things to do. I'll just get you so busy with so many things, you just can't think about Christ. You don't have a moment to do so. You don't have any energies. In the name of giving your children everything you didn't get as a child, in the name of making sure they know 10 different sports and how to play the piano and got a special tutor and, and, and you just get absorbed in the family and, and you're raising your kids up to not have your eyes on the Lord. And then we're surprised when they leave the home and they go off to college and their eyes aren't on the Lord. We're like, well, now that you're 20 years old, you should put your eyes on the Lord. What's that look like? I, I don't know. The only thing we learned from you is how to be... <laughs> you know, on time for all our sports and how to do that extra hour of piano practice and, and, and then go to church when it was available, you know, get there late and leave early. And that, that's what we learned. What, what are you saying? Is there something different than that? I mean, let me tell you guys, you may fail as a parent and everywhere, but don't fail in giving your kids an example of loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There is no greater gift of education than that, right? Mark also says the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and again, the desire for other things, the cares of this life, the desire for other things. We're going to look more into this later, but the Bible says establish our hearts by being serious about prayer, realizing that when man starts getting less spiritual, the first thing that goes is prayer. Because prayer is different than all other spiritual disciplines. You know, you can worship and you get some physical gratification to that. You can enjoy the music, you enjoy clapping, it, it comforts your heart, it, it's enjoyable to your flesh to some degree. There is some fleshly gratification in music. You can hear the sermon. And again, you've got to beat your body in subjection to, to hear a sermon. I, I, I understand that. Even if you want it, your, your, your body doesn't want it. <laughs> but at the same time, you're learning new things. And, and to some degree, your brain is gratified. Your flesh is gratified by hearing new things or being reminded of great things. And, and, and so you, you have some physical gratification intellectually as the sermon's being preached. But you go through the disciplines. Prayer, there is no physical, human gratification to it. All must die to be a prayer warrior. It's all spiritual. It's every moment of prayer is, is something where your body has to die to a different degree from all other spiritual activities. It's, it takes a greater faith. It takes a, a, a greater spirituality. The fact is, is, is the people that are the prayer warriors in the church are typically the most spiritual amongst us. That, that's just a fact. I, I do assessments of churches, and it, it's not uncommon to go to church of 5,000 people, and there are no prayer meetings. Or the one that's there, you know, it's two, two grandmas and their puppy and, and the little granddaughter coloring. That's it. You know, again here, there's something that has to change to make it in these last days in prayer. And then to encourage one another. In Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, 
Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some. I'll just say home and stream it. But exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. There's going to have to be an encouragement to not forsake the gathering together the brethren. There's going to have to be a greater encouragement. Follow Jesus. There's going to have to be a greater um, part of your life speaking into other people's lives saying, no, that's sin. Let that go. That's a way. It may not sin, but it's going to, it's going to keep you from running the race with endurance. We're going to have to develop a more interpersonal relationship to encourage each other through these last days, right on down to even just showing up for church. And, uh, and so the last days is also we're going to have to encourage ourselves, establish ourselves in realizing it's going to seem like forever. One of the signs of the last days, Second Peter tells us, is that there's going to be scoffers, not in the world, but in the church, who are going to say, uh, you know, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. This, is, this they willfully forget that the word of the Lord uh, God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world which existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth are now preserved by the same word and reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of the ungodly. So there's going to be this spirit of people like when Noah was building the flood or building the ark. Rain? Rain had never happened before. It'd be like me saying, guys, the world's going to change and Little kittens are going to be falling out of the sky and filling up your swimming pool. And, you know, it's like kitten. It's just insanity. That's what it would have been like for Noah to say water's coming out of the sky. Never happened. It just they couldn't imagine it. And they mocked him and persecuted him as he continued on enduring, building the ark. But yet people won't recognize the worldwide flood. They'll say, ah, ever since Adam, everything's exactly the same. And he's like, yeah, I know that's the same message they were giving right before the floods came, and things were not the same. In the same way, the days are going to be as the coming of Noah, and it's going to be Noah's friends, if you would. It's going to be people amongst us who are growing weary in the waiting, and they haven't established their hearts, and they begin to come up with eschatology that basically says there is no rapture. There is no tribulation coming. We're in the millennial reign. Whatever it is they come up with to take that edge off, to lighten the tension, so people, again, won't have that, that holiness in their life preparing themselves for the coming of the Lord. Well, then in verse 9 through 11 here, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Let me explain. Verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Love of many is going to grow cold. We're going to be in a society that's unloving, unforgiving, brutal, harsh, 
towards one another. That's going to be the world we live in all week long. And we're going to come to church with that mentality. You know, it's like somebody who's in a, a gang member coming to Christ or somebody who's been in prison for 20 years, getting out of prison and now coming to church. It, it, it's going to be hard to turn that life they've been living off and, and, and realize that, no, there's, there's a love that, there's a forgiveness, there's a peace. It's that grumbling that's in the world is going to want to come into the church. And we see how damaging that can be when Satan is at work. Do you remember the story of Job? Satan was just pounding on that poor guy, just like Satan's going to be pounding on you. Job needed encouragement, comfort. He needed people to say, man, I don't know what's going on, but let's, let's just keep praying. And you're sitting there by that fire, scraping yourself with those shards. I'm going to sit right next here to you until God answers our prayer. But instead, they started judging him. Ah, it must be you mistreated the poor. Ah, it must be that you're lusting after women. Ah, it must be that there's some secret sins going on that, that God's revealing it and, and God's punishing you and you need to repent. And, and, and Job just kept saying, no, it's, it's not it. Oh, I get it. You're just prideful. <laughs> yeah, and then Job, Job doesn't get it right either. And then finally God speaks and he, he just says, you guys have just completely been critical and fault-finding and condemning. And, and the reason this all started is because he was such a righteous man. When I was having the angel meeting and Satan showed up, I don't know how that works, but out of all the people on the earth, he, he said, this guy sticks out righteously like a sore thumb. Let me, let me just put a little pain and suffering in his life. And you'll see that it's, it's an inch thick. It's just a shell. His, his love and worship and, and righteousness does not go very deep. And God allowed it for whatever reason. And his friends just bash on him and bash on him. And his poor wife is so discouraged. She's just like, I just can't bear to see you suffering like this. Just curse God and let him finish you off, you know. No encouragement from anywhere. He was alone with no encouragement, no one to help. And, you know, finally God rebuked those guys. But the last chapter of Job it's a very compassionate and merciful chapter. God said, Job, I want you to humble yourself now and let those guys pray for you. Boy, that, that would have been hard. And then, Job, I want you to have a feast in their honor. And I want you to pray for them. There wasn't God smiting these guys with the boils that Job had. <laughs> and Job's heart was just merciful and compassionate. He didn't grumble going, ah, those guys, I mean, the worst time in my life, the time I needed man the most is when man felt me the greatest. The one time I really needed them to believe in me and support me, they just hurt me and disappointed me. 
You want me just to forgive him? You just want me to get over that? Job had no problem with that. He he truly was a spiritual man, and and he was just like, yes, love to pray for him. And the the last picture we have is all of them were more blessed than they had ever been, and they're at the feast enjoying each other's fellowship. Do we get that? Love does cover a multitude of sins. That there is a love that is supposed to be amongst us that we've got to fight uphill to make sure it remains amongst us. I think we've all observed through the years that the church is not righteous, just a notch more righteous than the world. And it didn't stabilize. (laughs) The world gets more unholy and we're still a notch above that. <laughs> of course, that would have been unholy last year or 10 years ago, but it's not unholy anymore because the world's gotten more unholy and we've gotten more unholy, but we can all be righteous in our own eyes because we're a notch better than the world. But yet, if we come back and get our eyes on Christ and say, are we walking as Jesus would walk? in love, in forgiveness, in tender mercies, in holiness, in righteousness. Shouldn't we all, like the Apostle Paul, be able at some point in our life to say, follow me as I follow Christ? But yet, I don't think there's too many amongst us that would dare to do that. So are we aiming at the right target? Are we truly putting our minds on the things above where Christ is seated and say, yes, Lord, I heard your command to be holy and much better than the world is holy. (laughs) No, to be holy as you are holy. And I'm just telling you, in the past generations, Christians have got away with things that they're not going to get away with in these days preceding the rapture of the church. That love is going to grow cold, and you need to watch yourself that your love doesn't grow cold. That the world is going to become more unholy. And you got to realize that there should be a greater and greater and greater chasm. You didn't change in your holiness, but the world has definitely changed in its unholiness. Do, Do we understand this? Since we can all say within our lifetime, even the youngest amongst us, can say, I have seen things get worse in my lifetime. Whether it's all the porn on the internet that's so freely accessible now, or whether it's just the brutal attitude in movies that were never even thunk of (laughs) generations back. There's just a apathy towards premarital sex. There's just a uncaring about adultery. There's just a common practice of divorce and remarriage. Definitely things have changed. And there should have been this separation of us, of of how we live in the church and how the world is living. But instead, as the world's drifted down, we've drifted down. The world drifted down, we've drifted down. But we're always a notch better. But in reality, we are not walking as Christ has called us to walk, and we know it. 
We know it, right? I, I'm not telling anybody anything here we don't know. And the word of the Lord to us, guys, we need to endure. We need to be patiently enduring. We need to consider all the prophets who stood for righteousness and not one of them got away without suffering. <laughs> not one of them got away without being pounded. And they constantly, as, as Stephen said in Acts, he said all the prophets pointed to Jesus. And which one of them did you not throw in prison or stone or kill? And now here I am telling you, look to the Messiah. And Stephen was stoned to death for that. In the same way, in these last days, we are going to see that there's not going to be room for lukewarm Christians. There's just going to be a point where the Lord just says no. You keep saying you're rich, and I say you're poor. You keep saying you see, and I say you're blind. You keep saying you're well-clothed, and I say you're naked, and you're my bride, and we're getting ready to get married, and oh, hang on a minute. That's what happens to me when I think about marrying you right now. I keep throwing up. You know, you know Jesus is so loving, so kind. Love is not rude. Jesus isn't rude. But yet he said the compromising church made him vomit. I don't know how that any Christian could hear such a message and not be pierced right to the heart by their fiancé. This, this is the word of the Lord. It's a hard word. It's not this word we're going to leave going, oh, what an encouraging message. I feel so good. But I don't think James meant it to be um, anything other than what this has come out to be. And I want to end here, if you would, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5. Concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. For you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord has comes as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light, sons of the day. We're not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet of hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are doing. The rapture of the church is to be a comforting thing to the believers because we have consciously put on the breastplate of faith and love. The helmet of salvation is secure. And we're not walking as in the night, but we're walking as in the day, as children of light. Amen?
thank you for your word today, Lord, and just continue to pierce it deeper and deeper in our hearts. Let this word go forth and not return void, but accomplish all that it was set out to do. And cause us, Lord, to be the people of God after your name, your nature, your heart, your mind. And that I believe we, if we are that church that's loving like you love and are gracious and kind and merciful as we see you through the heart of Job and, and we see that, that there was nothing but just love and compassion and mercy in his heart, even towards guys that had just hurt him at the worst moment in his life, the deepest, darkest, weakest, demonic attack time in his life, but yet he was not moved by the grumbling and the criticalness and the judgmentalness of the world around him. His heart was so tender to allowing your love to flow through him. So let it be amongst us. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen.